This week on Life and Faith. There's an opportunity to reconnect with spirituality through parenthood because suddenly your drives are selfless instead of selfish and they're giving instead of taking and they're suddenly you just rediscover all this goodness in yourself. We have this sense that we've got to always say yes to every opportunity. And of course in politics there is a real tendency to be looking for the decision that gives you the media hit. Definitions of human nature affect who counts as human. Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX, I'm Simon Smart. A couple of years ago, Justine Toe was hosting the God Forbid program on ABC Radio National, as she does from time to time. And as part of that program, which was on the spirituality of parenthood, she interviewed Andrew McCutcheon. And afterwards, Justine said to me, I think you should talk to Andrew. You have a lot in common and would make a great episode for Father's Day. So here we are. Father's Day is upon us. And I took up Justine's suggestion and contacted Andrew And I really think her instinct was right, that we would have a really good conversation. Andrew has been a journalist. He's worked for GQ magazine and other similar publications. He's been an entrepreneur and now runs an online watch magazine, Time and Tide, which looks amazing. Now, those of you who know me might well be thinking, well, where's the connection? But hold on, as you'll see, Andrew and I have some things in common, especially when it comes to our growing up, even though we have taken somewhat different paths in adult life. Andrew is the co-creator of The Fatherhood, a movement or online community for modern dads that, as their site says, is designed to help them survive and thrive in the only job that really counts. This is an online community that offers support, advice and inspiration for dads. Andrew, by the way, is the father of three little girls aged six, seven and eight, and he has an older stepdaughter too. So let's have Andrew explain what the fatherhood is, what it's trying to do, and what was the inspiration to get it going. The fatherhood is uh, me being a journalist. I'm quite proud of this one. It is a play on words. It's uh, the hood is short for neighborhood. So it's a place for dads to come to feel less alone, to feel supported and to feel inspired. And I think probably that's the key word. You know, we named our book Inspiration for the New Dad Generation. So we really try to give dads a positive view of why this is the best time in life to be a dad and also uh, why this is a very different experience that we have to our fathers and to any generation before us. In one generation, we've seen a massive shift in the way that we um, we dad. It's a whole different dad life. Mm. We're gritty and real and going behind the scenes on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so it's not all positivity, but we really think that these changes that are so, in some ways, so disconcerting that they leave lots of opportunities for us to be more emotionally and actively involved in our kids' lives. Yeah, tell us about the kind of thing that must have sparked the first interest in this, because you must be discerning a problem in order to try to kind of speak into it. I don't know how you felt, Simon, but it simply came down to the fact that when I had my first child, I thought, well, there's so many things that surprised me. It surprised me how positive the experience was and how 
it was almost something it was very it's very hard to describe like when someone says oh how was the birth of your first child it's it's not something you can just sum up in a few words but i was also surprised at how isolated i was i was surprised at how i felt like a bit of a first man on the moon type of scenario where there were so many other dads around me and yet we weren't sharing. Yeah. We were very much isolated in our experience. I'm a communicator, I'm a journalist, I'm a community builder as a person. I can't do anything by myself, Simon. If I do dry July, I have to create a WhatsApp group of other people to do it with me <laughs> so that we can all talk about it and share our experience. Yeah. If I do a marathon, I have to create a, a website of preparing for a marathon and try to build a community around that. I just naturally do it. And after having our first child, I found two very like-minded friends in Luke and Jeremy very talented friends who were great at business building. So when I'd catch up with those two guys in particular, our conversations were so amazing and that these conversations weren't being amplified anywhere. There's, it was like a project, you know, like that TV show. It was like a panel of the project, but there was no cameras on. So I was like, let's turn the cameras on. Let's record this. Let's, uh, let's write this down. And that's really how it started because I couldn't believe that there wasn't a bigger discourse going on around being a dad. It's really interesting because, you know, you are you're a journalist, your friends are obviously very communicative too. There'd be a lot of people in a lot kind of more isolated space perhaps than you even were. Have you found those sorts of dads coming to you and gaining from what you guys are offering? Those dads are the emailers. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that write to us and say, oh, hey, I found the fatherhood and I don't usually talk about this, but... <laughs> Thanks for writing an article about how the first year of, of my baby's life was a sex-free year for me. Or yeah. thanks for writing an article about how I felt somewhat alienated in that first three months of my child's life and I didn't know how to deal with those emotions. Or, hey, thanks for addressing the fact that on my kids' Zoom calls, the teachers only ever say, get your mum to do this, get your mum to do mm. that. Like we address all these things because there's so much about being a dad that um, it's difficult. There's no other way to put it. It's challenging and it's. I think it's not quite right. Like we want to address and call out things that need to be updated. It's like a, an update on your, on your Microsoft Word program. We're, we're <laughs> about 150 updates behind on fatherhood because teachers should be saying, get your mum or your dad yeah. to help you with this because I'm sitting next to my child and that, that example was me. It's still the teachers just default to talking about yeah. the mothers helping the child with their learning and and it's certainly in lockdown in Melbourne and Sydney right now where we are. I don't know about you, but I'm just as involved. <laughs> Absolutely right. And it's interesting when you talk about the way being a father has changed a lot. Certainly my generation compared to my dad's generation is massively different. Massive. He tells the story of arriving at the hospital with my mum when she's going to give birth and the nurses would take the suitcase and say, that will be all, thank you. And you can go, you know, <laughs> yeah, back to later. the pub. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you get a phone call later. I mean, it's just, <sighs> and that is the beginning, but it, yep. you know, it was very different after that. My dad, who's, who's a great dad, I need to sort of say here, said the first nappy he ever changed was my daughter's nappy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's a, no, it's, it's a, a very world. different world. And did you ever, uh, I shouldn't flip the, the mic to interview you, Simon, but I'm curious. Uh, did you ever have an experience with your dad where, because in, in the early newborn years with my three daughters who are now eight, seven, and six, so quite a few years ago now, but I'd say to dad, oh, dad, how did you deal with when your wife's on a Zoom call and, and you've, you've got two nappies to change at once? And, and he's like, mate, I've got nothing to tell you. Um, yeah. Look, the Zoom calls are bad. That's a bad extension. It was more just, dad, how did you do domestic life? And he said... Oh, I can't help you. I'm out, another, tapping it's out. Another, another it's another world. Did you have that experience? 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and I just know how how different it was. And he would make these comments sometimes, which would illuminate that difference. You know, it's kind of a just an interesting sociological change. I had no idea how it happened really or or why in a sense, but it's most of us would say it's been a good change, even though it comes with it real challenges. Is that what you find when you talk to people? Mate, a tagline is the best time in life to be a dad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah We're unequivocal great. and unapologetic about the fact that while it is incredibly difficult, like five minutes before this call, our six-year-old was just had enough. It had enough. The other two girls are on on homeschooling and my wife's trying to, in a motherly way, be very, you know, she's going into the feelings of the the youngest child and I'm thinking we just need a time out here to let her cool off and we're clashing over our parenting style once again. Um, So there, there are endless challenges of being this involved, but I just think the fruits of this labor will be seen as our children grow with a, a really balanced parental influence because I was a mummy's boy because my dad was hardly around. I mean, he's a wonderful dad, very committed. And again, he was a product of his time. He was a much softer and less blokey dad than any other dad I knew. So he, he was emotionally very progressive, but um, he still didn't do anything with us, you know, in terms of the day-to-day domestic stuff. So I believe it's the best time in life to be a dad. I, I reckon we should update that tagline though to the hardest time in life to be a dad as well, because we don't have any sense of an ascribed role. We have to make it up. We have to sit down with our partners at ground zero and say, right, let's just think of everything that needs to be done for this family on a weekly basis, daily basis, and then let's circle what we're going to do each. And then that's our contract. That's our agreement. And that's a hell of a lot harder than dad getting a whiskey and a warm meal when he gets home from work at six o'clock, you know? Yes, and let yet yeah, I sense from you you wouldn't change that. Like you wouldn't want to go back to, to oh, that Simon, style. Right? If I'm honest, watching Mad Men was was a difficult experience because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of positives there, but I just can't comprehend how Don Draper would spend eighty, ninety, a hundred hours a week mm-hmm. in the office um, yeah. and not have what for me are the best moments in the week, which are the the moments with your kids where you're just so high on on the experience of raising beautiful kids so again there's no man on earth could say they don't look at some of those how easy life was for men when it, when it was a patriarchal society when it was much but also 100 percent, i'm loving the fact that it's different and also i have daughters so i'm loving the fact that they're going into a world where they are going to have an equal share of everything um, yeah. and the, their expectation of relationships and their expectation of of marriage, of raising children is very much, if they have a guy that's expecting them to do any more than their share, that mm-hmm. the guy's going to... He's toast. Gonna, he's toast. <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. Now, um, you have three girls, don't you? I do. Yeah. And they're, they're young, right? Eight, seven, six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's busy. Good on you. It is. Glad it you're is. involved. I'm glad for your wife that you are so involved. Now, tell us a bit more about your dad. Uh, did you have a good relationship mm. with him? Oh, look, dad's um, was a minister and that meant that... Now, we share I... this, by the way, Andrew. My dad uh, is a minister as well. And I think right? you and I both come from families of three boys. So, Well, uh, should we push the envelope here? What denomination was your, your dad? He was Anglican. Anglican. That's interesting because my dad was uniting... And mm-hmm. he changed jerseys late in life. Did he? Yeah. Where did he end up? So he was at the Anglican Church in Beaumaris. 
Okay, so he yeah. um he got a, he has a late signing for the Anglicans, and um, tell us about that growing up though in that mm. way. Like, what yeah. influence did that have on you? Oh, so much. I mean, growing up, they were called PKs, right? Priest kids, mm. ministers' kids. Um, it's not always an easy experience for people. Was it? I had a good experience of this, mm. but yeah, sometimes people find that pretty tough. Look, I think that the hard part was probably that sense of being a bit disconnected from reality because you're somewhat living your parents' ideology much closer than if you're a casual churchgoer. You know, you're, right. you're a part of parish life. You know, you're right in this sort of hub um, of Christian life. And a lot of those expectations are quite hard to bear as a, as a child who has friends that aren't living that life. So, and my parents were... They weren't liberal in terms of their views of their teetotalers. They lived a very, I would say, quite a puritanical life. Mm. And in lots of ways, that was a beautiful, wholesome, structured environment that gave me wonderful boundaries. So I knew exactly what life should be like and was like, and I felt very secure in that. So I'm grateful for, I didn't have any sense of ever being unsafe or any sense of being frightened or there were never sort of drunken nights or wild parties that for a child can be unsettling. Yeah. It was all very, very secure and straightforward. But I'm not the sort of personality that, that necessarily enjoys that all the time. So I pushed those boundaries as hard as they were set. I pushed against them really hard. <laughs> no sex before marriage, no drinking. And because my parents had lived that life, this was mm. just, well, of course it's possible. Of course you should do that. That's what we did. Mm. So I didn't have parents that said, Andrew, we know this is a little bit hard as you hit puberty to think about not having sex before marriage. Like there was no sort of sense of being relatable. Like any transgressions were just not relatable. Whereas... Oh, right. You know, my life has panned out very different to that. And I will be able to talk to my kids about, right, let's talk about drugs. Let's talk about drinking. Let's talk about sex before marriage. Let's talk about uh, I'm going to be a lot more conversant, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying that I, I did uh, a lot of those boundaries because they were set so firmly. I just smashed them. And that I was, think, yeah. I think you were following in a fine tradition of children of. <laughs> I believe, in, in I believe I, I read the script word for word, uh, Simon. I believe that, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I have diverged in that sense, though. Like, so here am I, Center for Public Christianity. I'm not very original, but, um, mm. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, we all have a journey to go mm. through, right, in this area. What are some of the things, if anything, that's remained with you? Oh, look, it's funny. You go full circle. So you do all that. You break the boundaries. And then you end up talking to your dad at 37 or 38 saying, Dad, I feel a bit spiritually bereft. I feel the presence of something around me. I feel like I might be coming back to something that that I was... Because I was a happy Christian child. It was only through that period of, I don't know, prodigal son type parable, I suppose. But there was a period of wanting to see the other side. Um, but my dad was, he's not a dramatic person. And when I got back from two year trip overseas where I really had an exploration of myself and of, of all kinds of things, he wasn't like open arms, prodigal son returns type of moment. But yeah, later in life, he just said, oh, that, that sounds interesting. Sounds like you did what you set out to do. Um, but yeah, later in life, I definitely feel that all of that goodness that I just assumed everybody had was definitely centered around Christianity as well. And I think a lot of those, the values and the the home, that Christian home that I, I took for granted is just like 
that is not everybody's home. That is a that is a great privilege to have had that. And I think that some of that can be given to God, can be given to a spiritual presence, because it's kind of extraordinary to me that, you know, if you only know what you know, and I feel that what's been left with me is a sense of wonder at and appreciation for being raised as a Christian child and and just the how adherent my parents were and how it's, it's they're not adherent in a kind of a long suffering way they're just really great people and yeah. really they just live the values of Christianity every day effortlessly and I would say boringly back in the day but now I'm like wow as a parent myself I'm like this <laughs> the way that you did this and we're so yeah, full credit, and I think that I've come back to a sense of that's bigger than them. That isn't just my parents. That in their individual human constitutions, managing that, I think that they had some help. <laughs> this is Life of Faith, and I'm speaking with Andrew McCutcheon, co-creator of The Fatherhood an online community to support people in the role of being a dad, helping them to be the best at that that they can be. Now, this conversation veered inevitably towards questions of faith, and I thought it would be good to pursue that. I reminded Andrew of the interview at ABC with Justine Toe, where he talked about parenthood being spiritual. So I asked him if he remembered that, and if so, what he meant by it. Oh, of course I do. It's, uh, it's watching the miracle of life is the closest you'll ever come to witnessing something far bigger than you can ever comprehend or even really describe. Still, I get tongue-tied talking about the... And you don't want to steer into cliched territory, but it is... I'm trying to think what is equivalent to the feeling of having a child. Like, I really can't think of... Sometimes you'll have a moment in nature. Sometimes you'll have... I don't know. I'm just thinking of the most... A it's late, intense uh, experience. Intense, right. and there's there's not many where you. But I think that it's funny. You reconnect with that every day through you. Uh, well, not every day in homeschooling, but maybe every second day. <laughs> but you can have moments with your kid where you retouch that divine. But I just felt myself elevated way above my sort of human mundanity for those those moments. There's an opportunity to reconnect with spirituality through parenthood because you get to feel the best of yourself as well. Suddenly your, your drives are selfless instead of selfish and they're giving instead of taking and they're, suddenly you just rediscover all this goodness in yourself. And I think that's as much, if I talk about a wellspring of spiritual purity, having a child will remind most people that there is so much good in them and that it's just this massive oil well that once you tap it, it's just it can spill out of you on a daily basis, This the best of you. That's interesting, sort of appealing to the better and drawing out the better instincts that you might have. I have a friend who described becoming a parent as the first truly selfless thought he'd ever had. <laughs> I, thought was, I love this person. It it's self-awareness. Kind of yeah. Because we, you know, we live in a, in a world where, that is self-obsessed and where personal branding is now more important than working for a company. It's all self, self, self. And I think yeah. if we talk about theology, you know, this is a great danger or this is something that I think is leading us away from our essence. And I'm not putting that in a Christian context. I just think in general, there is a real narcissism, a sweeping yeah. narcissism in modern life. And yeah. the relief I felt to not be thinking about myself with my first <laughs> child, it was, it was at least half of the love was just like, oh, I get to pour all this into something else finally. Because often relationships and often romance is 
you know, can be based in the self, whereas the yeah. child and the child's needs, it's cameras are off. It's a pure giving. It's a lovely way to put it. And, and I would add there that I think Christianity at, at its essence and at its core and at its best is drawing you in that direction, right? sort of drawing you away from yourself, a sort of inward lookingness and towards yep. other people and other things in my estimation of things towards God, right? So it's sort of an outward looking focus, which I think is a sort of paradox that ends up being life supporting and life giving. It's really well said. And I think that is what I felt a draw back to as well. When I say to dad in my late 30s, I'm now in my mid 40s. Oh, that's horrible to say, Simon. I'm 44. <laughs> I think that, that's, let's just call it early 40s. But, um, you know, however many years ago when I was saying to dad, I feel a pullback to something else. It was to the community. I felt a draw back to what my childhood was, which was our little house in Benalla, a little house in Mount Beauty, a little house in Ormond. It was Burke Street for the parish. We had drug addicts, homeless people, people that were divorcing, experiencing domestic violence, people that were wanting to share their joys. They just were coming through our front room like it was a, it was just a, an endless stream of people. And I just, I think that part of my draw back to Christianity and draw back to spirituality is there's got to be a point where you say, enough about me. What else can I do to um, reconnect with something bigger than me? And I think outreach and the community is the tangible part of that but also i think there is you know like you say god this central figure is somewhere else to turn your attention to and i think it's really healthy to be looking out like you say what as you've thought about being a dad yourself but also mixed in with heaps of other dads what do you think are the characteristics of a good dad there'll be a huge <laughs> variety but there must be some themes that come through I speak freely, Simon, you know that, but I always hesitate on the brink of, of any judgment of parenting because yes. I think that in that sort of dynamic of me saying good and bad, um, I'm contributing to a dialogue that is very toxic for all parents. You know, I'm all about lowering the bar as parents rather than setting a high bar. <laughs> but if I can choose some characteristics that are not necessarily God's gifts and they're just uh, a mindset, I think yeah. I talk a lot about Bluey. Bandit, the dad in Bluey, for me, personifies the best dad on, you could possibly be. Which this is, is Bluey, the Australian. Australian cartoon that's now sweeping America. It's becoming a phenomenon worldwide. And uh, Joe Bloom, who, who was um, one of our feature guests in the book, talks about the fact that he wouldn't allow them to revoice it in an American accent, mm -hmm. um, which I think was a great choice. But look, I look at Bandit as personifying all the best things about uh, modern fatherhood. And so just a quick little explainer, if you don't know Bluey, it's a family of dogs. The two girls, Bluey and Bingo, have uh, a mum and dad, and the mum and dad are equally involved in their kids' lives. Neither of them, it's really hard to work out who's working and who's the primary carer, which is a, another antiquated term we can retire anytime. <laughs> like yesterday would be good. Go. Let that one go. But there's just a wonderful sense of modern parenting going on. And if I was to break down Bluey's dad's characteristics, they are that he's incredibly patient. So I think patience is a virtue. In like no other in parenting and it's something that we we can all improve on every single day i was very impatient this morning i'm still feeling quite bad about that um and then secondly i think the thing that is just so exciting to see in other dads is imaginative play and dads living in their kids worlds like actively not sort of telling them how the world is and setting really structured rigid games where with it relies on 
what they see as maybe the way the world is. If you watch a show like this, he inhabits this incredible child's view of life where everything is possible and magic is real and not everything can be explained. And I just think dads that can, when they get down on their kid's eyeline and talk to them, instead of sort of giving them a sense of, I'm an adult, you're a child. Like when I see dads that get down on their kid's eyeline and ask the child what's happening in your world and then inhabiting that world, to me, that's like A plus parenting because it gives the child a sense of wonder. It gives a child, in a way, I think it validates their worldview from very early. So instead of them being told, oh, unicorns aren't real, you know, um, or being reminded that they're a child in an adult's world of science and um, rationality, I, I really love that. It's an odd answer, Simon. I know that's an odd answer. But I think that the reason Bluey and Bandit, this dad on the show, is sweeping the world is that he is showing how magical childhood is and how magical fatherhood and parenting can be because he loves it. He's the most engaged, sort of loving and affectionate father. But he also, every single show is about one of the games he makes up with his kids and how he engages with it not in a sort of a begrudging, oh, can I get back to watching the footy now? Yeah. But he's relishing this magic that our kids bring into our lives. There's a, another part to becoming a parent is for those of us who are you know, world weary, we've forgotten, you sort of you, you reconnect with the wonder of life, right? Because you're seeing it more through the eyes of a child. And I think that's another gift of this part of your life. I think that's something I talked about in that interview as well, where when you sit in the backyard with your child and just ask, what, what are you seeing? And, and what, what's catching your eye? And why do you think that is? Oh, I mean, you can laugh in a sort of a horrible mocking adult way, like, oh, how ridiculous. But you, our kids give us, a, it's a connection to the divine. There's no other way to put it. And it's a very deep and at the same time, very funny thing too. There's nothing earnest or sort of preachy about Bluey and about Bandit's games. But it's just a reminder that you can get so much from your child's view, your child's worldview. It's, it's a beautiful thing. That's what I mean. It's the best time in life to be a dad because we now have these very, very influential programs celebrating that magic. Now, lots of people don't have good dads or perhaps they do, but they don't end up for whatever reason not having a great relationship with their dad. Do you encounter people in, in your work who are in that situation? What Do you ever say anything to them? We do, and, and we don't assume, we don't take for granted that when the word dad comes up that everyone has a positive word association. Both of the co-founders in the fatherhood have had very different experiences of fatherhood. Mine was very wholesome and I would say 100% scandal-free, um, which is dull and, and, and something I found very dull when dull I was younger, but I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've come to, to realize that I was really fortunate. Um, our experience of fatherhood across the team has been very different. Um, yeah. One of my co-founders had his father die when he was very, very young. Mm -hmm. So he grew up essentially with his mother being both roles. And the other founders had a, a different and I would say checkered experience of fatherhood as well. But what I would say to all people, regardless of their reaction to the word dad, when I say your dad, it's hardwired what you immediately experience a flurry of emotions. You get the chance to reset what that word triggers for your child, you have a blank slate. And very often we see abuse survivors be exemplary parents for that reason. 
I talked about my journey a little bit, but I definitely, from the most wholesome of backgrounds, made some very unwholesome life choices at different times just because I wanted to experience. And in the same way, it works both ways. If you've had a checkered experience of parenting, more often than not, we find that dads are wanting to give their children a different experience. So I would just say that in the same way that forgiveness is so attractive in religion, this notion of I'm going into the confession box and when I come out, my sins are washed clean. Uh, in the same way that there's a part in every sermon about forgiveness, I think that there is the same opportunity in parenthood to start all over. You know, in some ways the drive is, is even stronger in people that have had difficult parenting, difficult childhoods to give their child something different. So it's uh, wherever you're coming from, there's challenges to being a great parent, but I don't worry for the people that have had difficult experiences because in our vast interviews and discussions and DMs and email threads, we see people that are desperate to do the opposite. We hear a lot about toxic masculinity these days. I get the sense that you're trying to be part of and promote something that's going to be an antidote to that. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think fatherhood is the opportunity to feel more masculine than you've ever felt because being a dad is really great for that surge of protector. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of positive masculinity that comes along with being a dad, but it's just about there being a, a role you can inhabit where you are a positive father figure and a positive male that isn't getting much airtime. There aren't a lot of role models for positive masculinity. So I find that bringing in threads of me being the best man I can be and being a dad, they've come together very naturally. And in fact, I don't think I've ever been as motivated to be as positive a male as I am as a dad because I have three daughters looking up to me every day and I'm trying to live my best life and I'm trying to show them the kind of man that men can be. So I have inspiration every day to do that. And I do think that one of the great balms for toxic masculinity is for those males who are struggling with identity. Fatherhood is is something of a balm for that. I'm not saying it's a fix and any toxic males out there shouldn't go and just knock up their <laughs> partners to get a fix. It doesn't work like that, but certainly there's an opportunity through fatherhood to become a very positive male. And in fact, you owe it to your children to do it. And you, you'll probably feel quite compelled to do it because was there an incentive for me to be a positive male without kids? There's much less of an incentive. You know, you're just trying to, you know, find your way and impress people as a bloke. And uh, that all goes away with kids because, or a lot of it goes away because they break you down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no hiding, is there? No. Um, one last one. And without wanting to take a morbid turn here, but what would be the best thing your kids could say about you at your funeral as their dad? Oh, wow. Well, I, the other day they got into a discussion about two words to describe mum and dad and that we were not part of this and I wasn't, I wasn't jigging this one. But they said funny and smart were the two words that they would use at my funeral today. I'm pretty happy with that. I think mm. that that's, um, I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that my intelligence has, hasn't left any impression on them because I don't think there's much of that on show. <laughs> but I just think, um, wouldn't it be great if your kids just got up and had a sense of knowing you. I don't care what they say, as long as it's actually authentic. Mm -hmm. As in, I have lots of foibles, as, as do you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mind if my kids know my foibles and speak about them in a eulogy. I just want them to know me really deeply. And I think um, when I talk about my dad, 
I think I know him pretty well. I'm lucky later in life to have really gotten to know my dad. That's all I want. It's not about, oh, he was, um, he was creative or he was, mm-hmm. he was this. So I don't want that. I just want them to stand up and have a real sense of when they speak of me to a group that the group goes, wow, she really deeply knew her dad. And that's, mm-hmm. again, I think to tie it back to our opportunity and why, why we're inspiration for the new dad generation is that because we're so much more actively involved in raising our kids from nappies and all the fun stuff to having conversations with them, especially, you know, we're spending three times more time with our kids than our parents did. So what does that all result in? It results in a child that could stand up at a lectern and some Simon up pretty well and say, this is my dad. That would be the best thing. Andrew, it's great chatting to you about this. We could talk all day. Appreciate your time and appreciate the work you're doing, which I'm sure is a huge gift to so many people. And uh, my sense is that those three daughters, uh, let's hope it's a long way off, but uh, we'll know their dad and that's a great (laughs) gift. Thank you, Simon. This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart. As always, thanks to our producer, Alan Douthwaite, and thanks especially to Andrew McCutcheon. The Fatherhood is a website and a book. To find out more, go to the-father-hood.com. There's some excellent resources and encouragement there. Please do share this episode with someone you think might appreciate it, and we'd love it if you would leave us a rating or review. It really helps us get out to more people. Oh, and... Happy Father's Day. Next week. Coming out of the metro, um, it was a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. But as we got to the top of the stairs, um, it was pretty clear that something wasn't quite right. And as we stood at the top of the stairs, turned to our left and could see through the buildings, bellows of smoke coming out of what was the, the Trade Centre mostly.